This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's the best thing going today. All right, everyone, what's going on? How you doing? What's up? Episode 264, future award-winning Talk Buffalo podcast. Going to jump right into things today, man. I got my good buddy, recurring guest, cover one Buffalo podcast co-host, my buddy Aaron Quinn. What's going on, Aaron? How you doing? Doing well, man. It's Patriots week. I got to be doing well. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. It's been a whole, what? Two and a half weeks or so since I had you on the podcast, man. <laughs> I got you on all the time. Dude. I love rapping with you. You know that. It flies by during the season, though, man. If you, you say two weeks, but it feels like I was just on with you not that long ago. Yeah, it really does. Well, again, you do a show twice a week with Greg over at Cover One Buffalo. Let me ask you this, man. Do you feel rusty? Like when you took your sabbatical from social media and you didn't do the podcast for a while, like Greg was doing some solo stuff during the off season. Before you ramped it back up when you first started doing it did you feel a little rusty and let me ask you, i'll tell you why because last friday i did not have a podcast so for people out there listening by the way and of course welcome everybody thank you for listening to all that you know stuff that i say at the beginning usually last week i i also i have a tuesday friday show and last week i did a show on wednesday because it was a monday night football game and i kind of wanted a day to really digest everything then I had some technical shit going on, so didn't have a podcast on Friday. But anyway, so it's been like not even a week, but I still feel kind of weird almost. I was doing some recording earlier, doing some stuff, and felt weird and rusty. When you first got back into the swing of things, did you feel a little bit rusty at all? Or did you kind of just jump back in naturally? Honestly, I thought I was going to feel super rusty. Uh, and I don't know if it's just, you know, Greg and I have good chemistry, but it I really jumped right back in and felt pretty good. I made a few mistakes early on with some of the roster guys and names. And it wasn't that I didn't know. I was just kind of maybe some nerves uh, shaken off. But I felt like I was able to jump right back in. And uh, when you do it with somebody else, it's tough uh, because there's the back and forth. But I, it, at least I, Greg is so good at what he does anyway, even without me in there. But he and I were able really pretty much to pick up right where we left off. And we got a lot of comments uh, in the feed about that saying, Hey, you guys got right back in your groove, which was cool uh, to see the comments kind of agreeing with that. And that is really nice when you come back to have that confidence uh, that you can just jump right back into it. Now, my philosophy on this podcast is I like to at following a bills game. I'm talking about during the season here. I kind of like to let things simmer in my mind for, a day or so, and then depending on who my guest is going to be for my Tuesday episode, we kind of digest the game, break it down a little bit. Now, of course, you and Greg are literally the complete opposite. You're pretty much on the air live, no, not long after the game. So you really, again, it's the opposite. You're not really letting things digest. You're kind of shooting from from the hip. Yeah. Do you find it easier, by the way, when the Bills win a game? Now, I think it's been established, and we'd be lying if we said that it doesn't matter if the Bills win or lose. Because when it comes to podcast content, bullshit. 
both of us want to talk about a Bills win. Do you find it easier to do a show after a Bills win or when it comes to being able to produce what you would consider a quality show? Does it not matter to you? Well, so I, the Bill, Bills winning matters uh, for sure. It, it is so much more enjoyable to get on there with Greg after a victory. Uh, luckily this year, the losses they took, uh, were against good teams. So that's, you can kind of chalk it up a little bit better when it's a letdown loss. I've been on shows where the Bills should have won a game and they let down that stinks. Cause we're still fans. We're fans first and then podcasters second. So it stinks to have to go on immediately when you haven't fully mentally processed the loss yet. Um, so definitely winning, uh, is much better to go on and do a live show after what I will say though, is it has helped me to process losses better to go on and talk about it with Greg. And because you don't want to be totally super emotional in the podcast, right? You want to still be able to have your kind of grounded, pragmatic takes. Although most people just still call me a homer, even though I think I try to be pragmatic on the show. (laughs) Uh, But you, you kind of, it, there's a weird thing about it over the last few years now doing the podcast. It's really actually been something i guess just talking it out with a friend has helped me process his lot process a loss where i get done with the show and i just go back to watching football and go back to my day it doesn't linger in the same way that it used to maybe it's the team's better and there's not been as many bad losses here over the sean mcdermott years but uh, i think there's something to it that talking it out live uh helps with the processing but i am a little bit jealous i talked to bruce nolan quite a bit and even you uh, of the people that do get to fully process a game and then talk about it. Cause Greg and I going live and shooting from the hip, there's stuff that you see in the broadcast that maybe isn't what it appears to be, or, you know, you have a take immediately after the game. And then after you watch it, you say, Oh man, maybe that isn't really what I thought at the time, but then it's out there forever in the podcast world for people on YouTube comments to make funny or people on Twitter to, to tear you apart about it. So I do get a little jealous of the ability to fully process a game and then give your takes versus just kind of that immediate reaction that we get to do. I would think that it's especially hard in the trenches because I think when it comes to like, say a quarterback like Josh Allen, for example, I think you got a pretty good sense of how he played by the time the game's over. When it's some, a lot of times when it comes to the offensive line, you have to really go back and watch the game and see who played well and who didn't or didn't on the defensive line. It's easy to just look at, statistics and say, Hey, you know what? Stefan Diggs didn't do a lot today or Devin Singletary had a great game, but sometimes you really need to go back and watch the film and say, all right, did Brian Winters look as bad at right guard as I thought he initially he did. And quite often he doesn't, you know what I mean? It would be the opposite. So I would think that that's probably one of the more difficult parts about kind of doing a podcast that goes on immediately live after game, whether it's a podcast or a live radio show, like our boy, uh, Nate Gary does stuff like that. That would probably, I would think anyway, am I right? It's That's super. Part of the yeah, part of it. I try to stay. The things I try to stay away from any type of like hot take on the performance of a player is exactly that. What you said, offensive line, defensive line, defensive line. You can find some splash plays to talk about, right? Like those are pretty obvious. Offensive line doesn't really have splash plays, right? Like, and, and the people that perform well, you don't particularly notice. That's kind of why they're playing well. Uh, so you don't really notice it during the game. So I kind of stay away from the lines and it's really hard to judge cornerback play again, outside of splash plays, uh, cornerback and safety play. You really can't get a feel for it in the broadcast. So, uh, for instance, everybody was super excited with Dane Jackson on Sunday. I was too, from the broadcast, I'm waiting for the all 22 to come out before I can really make my kind of assessment of them. And again, Bruce Nolan had a great point when he was looking at Taron Johnson, 
a couple weeks ago. People were killing Taron Johnson after the game. And I kind of said, well, I don't know that it was as bad as it looked, right? The targets look kind of bad, but let's see what else is out there. Because you don't see the not targets uh, in the broadcast. And Bruce took a look and he saw it too. Uh, Saw the same thing I did, which was he actually probably played better for more snaps than it looked like he played based on, you know, the four targets he did give up. Uh, The rest of the snaps weren't that bad and you don't see it when you're watching it live on the broadcast. So those are the things I try to stay away from any super hot takes of saying, Hey, Brian Winters really sucked in this game because I haven't had a full chance to really look at it. And I I sort of preface, I, I bet our fans of the show get kind of frustrated that I won't give those takes on the offensive line immediately after the game. Cause I do think people want to hear it, but it's just not fair to the players or for me to put those takes out there, not having a real good look at it. And do you think that having that very sensible approach that, Hey, I need to watch film before I go taking a sledgehammer and whacking it over to Ron Johnson's head for an example, that kind of probably is what leads to, like you said, a criticism that you get that I, that a lot of people get that, you know, you're being a Homer yes. where it's not really so much. You're being a Homer. It's just that, Hey, you know, let's not have knee jerk reactions here and let's yeah. uh, take a little bit of time and, and either rewatch the game or watch the all 22 or whatever it is that you do. Well, it's Cole Beasley said it the other day. Uh, the film, when you watch the film, it's never as good as you think. and It's never as bad as you think. Right. So and everybody wants to pile on on the bad, but it really is rarely as bad as fans and people say after watching the game and they're emotional about it. Once you pull back and watch the film. You, you find the whys and the whys aren't that bad. And they're things that guys can clean up for the most part. Um, I do definitely get the Homer thing a lot. I lean into it a little bit, which makes it worse with the guys like the Trent Murphys and the Taron Johnsons. I think people think I love those players. I like them. They're good, replaceable replacement level players. But what I have a tough time with, and it's some of the time I spend at scouting Academy is, just crapping on players. I hate it. I hate people that are just crapping on players that don't watch it or don't understand the scheme. So for instance, Taron Johnson gave up, well, people thought he gave up that third and 20 uh, this uh, this weekend to the Jets. Wouldn't you actually know what the Bills were doing? He had the under route. Dane Jackson had the over route and it was a really tight window. It was actually pretty good defense. Sam Darnold made a fantastic throw. It happens in the NFL. Do you want it to happen? No. It looks like it's on Taron Johnson. It's on both him and Dane Jackson. So it's easy in the moment in the game to pile on Taron. And if you come out and defend Taron, you just look like a Taron Johnson stand and a homer. But really, you're just kind of understanding what this is, the scheme is and what Taron's responsibility is in that. And yes, it's frustrating, but it's not okay to just pile on the guy because he was actually doing his job. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I'm kind of guilty of that myself. I am one of those guys sometimes who has a knee-jerk reaction and doesn't really think things through, especially on Twitter during the game when I get pissed off. Tremaine Edmonds has gotten a lot of my fury later lately. And I would say, and we'll talk about him in a few minutes here, but you know, some of it's deserved and some of it I'm sure I'm probably wrong about. Like he was doing his job, but he didn't make the play and it pisses me off and you know, stuff like that. Whereas yeah. like I said, you know, you having the ability, and this is one of the things that I do like about you is I don't want to say that you're unemotional when you and Greg are doing your show, but again, you're objective and you're, uh, you're calm. It's almost like, all right, let's breathe here. And, uh, you know, let's assess with the best I can at this time. Whereas again, me, uh, my buddy, Joe Miller was just on the show last week. I mean, his show is literally called the overreaction (laughs) sports podcast. And trust me, he lives up to that billing. You know what I'm saying? It's like the end of the world when the bills lose and it's, uh, 
you know, roses and rainbows when they win, which again, that's what his show is. And he has really strong takes and he does his, uh, you know, he tapes that night. I would be the same way. That's kind of why, like I said, I had to kind of take a step back because I just know myself too well. That's something I'm working on. Like, uh, just be, those knee jerk, strong reactions because everybody wants to have a big, strong take that resonates with people good or bad, I would say. But yeah, I, I tend to do that a little bit too much. Now, do you get a noticeable spike in viewers, by the way, listeners when, when, when they win? Oh yeah. Well, it's, it's not night and day, but it definitely is better when the bills win football games, yeah. uh, especially immediately live. Um, although the, right after the KC game, we had pretty good numbers live, but usually it's much better right after a win. And then that kind of trickles the thing about our content. Uh, and you probably notice it more during the season with your content is our content, super short lived, right? It's, we have about a three day run on the post game show before we're doing the pregame show and that pregame show has got maybe four days and then it's done. So, uh, we track it and we definitely get much better run on, on wins. And the, then the, the preview show after a win gets much better run than after a loss. The numbers are down pretty substantially. Uh, but to the emotional takes, man, don't think for a second that during the game, I'm not an emotional wreck during the game. I stay off of Twitter mostly for a reason. I was on there a little bit uh, this week just because I was switching things up. Uh, but I stay off of Twitter because I know that I'm going to blast out totally irrational takes in the moment uh because i'm a fan too man and uh to the just talking about joe and and even yourself during the game it the beautiful thing about the buffalo sports kind of world right now online is the number of podcasts and the number of personalities out there there's somebody for everybody for every type of fan that's out there not everyone's gonna like greg and i and the type of takes that we have and the way that we present our takes. Not everyone's going to like Joe's, uh, but everybody's going to find guys that they like and that they can relate to in that moment. And there's nothing better than having that for years. And it's no offense to WGR, but for years, that's all we had for Buffalo sports talk was tuning in through the app and getting that. And then you had a couple podcasts that kind of came out throughout the week, but people weren't, you know, post game shows and that night shows. And now you have so many options to listen to all these different networks. So, I think it's fantastic. The, all the different personalities and all the ways takes and ideas are presented about this team. It really is something for everybody. Yeah, there really is. And look, I, again, I've said this to you. I've said this many times on this show. I don't care if you're a podcaster, a blogger, a mainstream writer, a radio host, TV host, whatever it is. Don't tell me that you don't care if the bills win or not. Cause I know you do because it drives up traffic. Think about it this way, Aaron, if you weren't doing the podcast, okay. And I know I could say if I wasn't doing my own podcast too, if when the Bills win, I want to consume as much shit as possible. Like, honestly, if when the Bills win, I will listen to you, you're in Greg's show. I will listen to as many shows as I can. I'll listen to some WGR. I'll read as many articles as I can throughout the week. And that's how I am. When they lose, when they play like shit, I just want to forget about the game. And I'm saying this as a podcaster, I don't even want to do a show when they lose. I'm going to be honest with you. And I probably more nine times out of 10. And I love you and Greg and you guys do an awesome show, but I probably ain't going to want to hear it, man. If the bills go on and play like shit, I don't personally want to hear about it. You know, yeah. spending an hour of my time afterwards. And again, that whether it's your show, whether it's Bruce, mine, whoever, I'm just naming, you know, no one specific there. Winning matters. It drives people's interest. So that's kind of why this season is fun because the expectations are very high right now. Even after the two game skit, I still think, 
Do you still think the expectations for this team right now are at least reasonably high? I think there's some mixed uh, reaction kind of in the fan base. When you look at the upcoming schedule, it's it's not easy. And mm-hmm. I think a month ago, people had pretty crazy expectations. My personal expectations really haven't wavered, right? My expectations are playoffs and uh, a success would be a home playoff victory. That's a success for me. And anything less than that isn't a failure, but it's not a success. And I think that's what this team is. I think they're still a playoff caliber team. And uh, we were talking about on our show, on the postgame show, if they, you know, Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier keep talking about it, that you don't want to be playing your best football now. You want to play your best football in, you know, November, December. I do believe in that. I think that uh, there's countless amounts of teams that have gone on runs and taken that into the playoffs. If the Bills can do that, they have a chance. I think they can go to toe-to-toe with anybody. But I don't think because of that first four games that they were somehow catapulted into Super Bowl contenders uh, right away. I think they're still a playoff caliber team. I think they're a step in the process still behind the Kansas City Chiefs, behind the Ravens. But they're right there knocking on the door. So I think it's fair that the expectations are still high for this team. And uh, real quick, uh, uh, not event, but fans are kind of crazy. We spent the last 18 years suffering through a drought and the Bills backed into the playoffs one year under Sean McDermott legitimately gotten into the playoffs last year are on pace right now. I think it's like 80 something percent to make the playoffs again this year, back to back for the first time in whatever 20 years. And people's expectations are like frustrated that they could be a team that is a one and done in the playoffs or they could win a game and then that's it. And not make. I think that is a crazy amount of privilege and I'm I, I maybe it's just the suffering from the drought. I'm still just happy. I'd be super happy to have back to back playoff seasons and winning the division. Like those things, if you told me ten years ago that a Bills I could have a Bills team that went back to back playoffs and would win the division, I would give anything for that. And people that doesn't seem to be enough for people right now. Listen, I'm just gonna say it, man, and I'm not speaking of all fans, but there's a nice chunk of Bills fans that have kind of been insufferable this season. <laughs> They really have. I'm, I'm, I'll say it. I don't give a shit. They have. They've been insufferable. Now, again, the majority of Bills fans are great fans. But yeah, the expectations, I don't know what it is. But, you know, I didn't, I, again, it's been two and a half weeks since I had you on the podcast. And uh, both times the Bills lost. So I really haven't talked to you about either loss. And we don't really need to relive that again. But it was like, yo, they lost on a Tuesday night on the road to a very good team, a team that made the AFC Championship last year. And no, they did not play well that game. There were, I think, anyway, some valid excuses. You know, not they were kind of preparing for two teams. Everything was up in the air. So whatever. It was just a bad game, okay? And then they come back on Monday at 5 o'clock, or I don't even want to call it Monday night football, Monday rush hour football, against the defending Super Bowl champions. Lost by nine, probably wasn't that close. But yo, that's two losses to two really good teams. And I could not believe my eyes on Facebook and Twitter, because those are the only two social media sites that I use. How many Bills fans were like, I don't want to say they were jumping off the bandwagon necessarily, but man, they were really coming out to bash this team. Yeah, people organization. Are I'm like, Jesus, man, this is getting borderline crazy. They're still foreign too at that point, you know? Yeah, it. Yeah, there was a really weird reaction. And I think the 4-0 start and the way the 4-0 start happened got people's expectations all cocked up. I think people's wires got all fried 
about maybe who this team really was. And it's hard early in the season to not do that. Um, I did it a little bit. I got really excited for Josh Allen's start, but I think they got brought down to earth a little bit. They just, they lost to the two teams that were in the AFC championship the year before. <laughs> that is not, there's nothing to be embarrassed about that. Uh, one loss looks worse probably in the box score than it was the game uh, that Titans loss. And then the other one, man, you and I talked about it. We nobody thought they were going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Like no matter how good they looked, I never had that as a victory. It's the first game this year that I picked the Bills not to win in our show. Like I don't know why people were shocked when the final result was a loss. I think most reasonable fans suspected that was going to be the way the game went. So you, you drop two, it happens. I put it out. Uh, the last two Super Bowl champs, New England Patriots, lost two earlier. They lost the twenty-six to ten game on national television against the Detroit Lions uh, that year, yeah. and they went on to win the Super Bowl. Kansas City lost uh, two games the same weeks the Bills did last year. They lost, I think they lost four out of six to start the season last year, and then went on a run when they got Mahomes back and won the Super Bowl. So. It happens. It's frustrating, whatever. But yeah, the fan base, man, people were talking all kinds of, we got to make all these giant moves. We got to cut people. We got to do all that. We got to fire Leslie Frazier. It was insane. I think the reaction was way over the top. Uh, this team's still very much a playoff team. They're still very much in the lead for the division. They could take a huge step in that uh, by beating the Patriots here this weekend. So let's just see. It's a lot, There's a lot of football left, man. Well, I'll tell you, one of the overreactions that I heard a lot of, and to be honest, I kind of contributed a little bit. Maybe we'll spend a few minutes in a little while talking about it, but uh, Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson, because the defense before the Jets game simply has not played well. There's been a lot of people saying that the Bills should not have let them go. But again, I'll get, a, I'll get to that in a minute. Sure. When it comes to this Jets game, what was your sense, before we like actually talk a little bit about the game, from what you've seen... Over the past, so we're taping this pretty late on Monday night. So the game's about a day and a half old now. Do you feel like Bills fans, for the most part, from what you've seen, are satisfied? Because again, they came off two straight losses. They were playing an Owen, what, Owen 6 team. And I think the expectation was the Bills, this, what a great bounce back game this is. And the Bills are just going to go into MetLife Stadium and have their way against an inferior team. And to a certain extent, that turned out to be true, although the score certainly didn't indicate it. An eight-point win. What is your sense right now, what you've seen on social media or just talking to Bills fans that you know? Are they satisfied or do you feel like there's a big disappointment that they only beat the Jets by eight points? I think most fans feel satisfied. I think at the end of the day, a lot of people, and I think it's more of a media-driven narrative, need a certain score number win uh, to justify something. But I think at the end of the day, most fans just want wins. And the way the defense performed, I think, made enough people happy. My mentions are pretty much always going to be littered with another side of the fan base, right? And so I do have a bunch of people saying, oh, it's the Jets, calm down. They barely got, they barely beat the Jets, calm down, uh, and, and stuff like that. And so I, I think there's a mix, but I think overall right now, the fan base feels good picking up the win that they should. Yeah. I agree. That's a good assessment. Now, when it comes to this game, I don't know about you. Initially, I was annoyed, but then I realized, you know what? I think this is something that the Buffalo Bills needed. Now, that sounds pretty stupid to, to say they needed to play like shit in certain regards, but I feel like they needed to have a game where the offense didn't get the job done. Now, that's not to say the offense didn't control the football, that they didn't move it. Well, they didn't even punt, by the way, on Sunday. I know. 
Um, you know, but they didn't get in the end zone. They had to settle for a lot of field goals. They made mistakes. They had a touchdown call back. Long story short, again, some teams that might not get the job done if you don't get in the end zone. Right. But what I like about this game now that it's over and done with, of course, I like the fact that the Bills won the most, but I love the fact that the defense probably for the first time this year went out and, and won the game. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they had to put this team on their shoulders and that's kind of exact, not kind of, that is exactly what happened, especially in the second half. This defense that we saw Sunday against the Jets for the first time, at least in my opinion anyway, this year for sure, it reminds me of the defense that we saw plenty of last year and the year before that and even the year before that. You know what I mean? This was a game to me where, yeah, it was annoying to be in that close of a game against the Jets, but I, I think it might pay off even more so than, say, a 45 to 10 blowout because the defense had to be dominant and they were. It was a total 2019 Buffalo Bills victory. Uh, defense starts a little slow, gives up points, buckles down, doesn't give up anything for the rest of the game. That's exactly what the 2019 Buffalo Bills defense did. The defense needed this 100%. You're right. Uh, Sean McDermott, I said at halftime, uh, you just lost two games to better teams. You're down on the road to an inferior opponent. How your team responds, this is a coaching moment for Sean McDermott at halftime. How does your team come out and respond to this? They've been bad in the third quarter all year long. That's become a thing. How does your staff and your team respond? And I, I liked the way they responded. I do think the no touchdowns is a I don't know if it's as much of a problem as it's being talked about, right? That I do, I don't know that there was actually an illegal formation on that Gabe Davis touchdown callback. That that one counts in my opinion, even though it doesn't end up on the scoreboard. The offense scored a touchdown, in my opinion. Tyler Croft trips. That's another touchdown. That's an explosive play touchdown uh, that he should have had. He trips, doesn't end up resulting in points, but really, you know, the the score doesn't tell the story of that game. That should have been a thirty-six to ten game at the end of the day and i do think fans frustration is a mixture that the bills have had good offense not good defense won games and then they've had you know bad at both sides and lost games and not being able to put it together on both sides of the ball i think that's really kind of the tipping point right now for fans is to come out and see a game similar to those first four games on offense and similar to the game we saw on defense here this last weekend and that's i think fans just want to get it together and go on a run. But I think that's what Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott talk about saying, Hey, you want to play your best football in November, December. If we can get those two things to even out and be more balanced on both sides throughout December, this is going to be a team that's going to be very dangerous in the playoffs. They haven't done it yet. Uh, but I do think they got their swagger back on defense, even though it was against the jets. I think you got to build confidence against teams like this. And the defense needed a lot more confidence than the offense did. Scale one to 10. Uh, how close were you to punching your television in the first quarter when <laughs> the Jets had the ball for like 12 and a half minutes and were literally running? Frank Gore looked like, what, 2009 Frank Gore. Yeah. It was just unbelievable to watch. 12 and a half minutes, they just dominated the ball. It's like, yo, you got to show up at some point. I don't know about you, but I literally was ready to take my TV and, you know, have a TikTok video that went viral because I'm sitting there destroying my television. Luckily, it was really ugly early on, man. Ugh. Luckily, I just bought a brand new TV for the first. I never buy like new stuff, and I just got myself finally a nice television. And so, <laughs> luckily, that's in my room. And I would never do that to myself uh, at this point. But honestly, man, I've I wasn't as mad as I was feeling defeated. 
I kind of just slumped into my couch thinking about having to go on live after Frank Gore rushes for whatever, 150 yards, <laughs> two touchdowns and beats the bills. That was my immediate thought. Like, oh, I'm going to have to go talk about this for an hour after this. But then I did start to come to the realization that this defense has done this before. Uh, let's see what happens here because it didn't last long, right? It was about a quarter and a half before the defense really locked in uh, and then did, gave up nothing the rest of the game. So it, it was a feeling that didn't last a long time. I think it would have been a lot nicer if the offense would have been able to put something on the board. Obviously the missed field goal didn't even made that sinking feeling worse. Like you just, the game started out just feeling like, man, this is going to be a letdown, but I'll tell you, people don't want to talk about it or don't want to hear it, but pretty good mental makeup of this team to be down. This is a total trap game waiting to happen, and you're down, and you're getting punched in the mouth on the road, inferior team. You don't want to give those guys any type of momentum or anything. They they had it, and the Bills took it right back and never really gave it back. It, I was trying to tell my wife, it was the most dominant eight-point victory I've ever seen, probably in NFL history when you look at the game in its entirety. Yeah. And honestly, I'm, and again, in hindsight, I'm glad that even if the game wasn't quite as close as the score indicated, I'm glad that the score was close and I'm glad that they had this type of game, even against a shitty team. I think it's going to benefit them more than had they went out and just the jets laid down and the bills roll over them for four quarters. And Matt, Matt Barkley's playing the fourth quarter because they're up 30 points or so. I don't think that would help them. And by the way, for perspective, like I said, as bad as the Jets or uh, the Bills play defense in the first quarter, they were incredible in the second half. I think they allowed like four total yards and 16 plays or something. Not only, like that. Not, not only that, the first play of the second half, the Jets had a 13-yard gain and the Bills yeah. still only allowed four yards in the second half. Think about that. Yeah. Think that about is, that. Uh, that is, it's, it's, it was dominant. And I know it's the Jets other teams haven't dominated them for a half in that way. So yes, it's the jets, but the, the measuring stick is still, this was dominant. No matter really how you slice it. You know, there's one player specifically on defense that I wanted to make sure I hit on. And that was Jerry Hughes. And the reason why is because I've gotten in several arguments on social media. In fact, I even the legendary Joe B man, I was kind of going at with him a little bit, a couple weeks ago because Jerry Hughes has put up no stats this year, okay? And I get it. I know how overrated statistics can be. Passing yards for a quarterback can be overrated. Sacks for a defensive end can be overrated. I totally understand that. But you know what? When you've played six games going into this game and you have zero sacks, zero forced fumbles, I think one tackle for a loss, it's like, all right, man, so you're setting the edge. You're playing pretty good against the run. You're getting some pressures. But at some point, you got to do something. You got to make an impact play. Well, I'll tell you what. Sunday, not only was that easily the best game of his career, or season, I think that was one of the best games I've ever seen Jerry Hughes play, period. Yeah. Two sacks, two hits on the quarterback, um, a forced fumble, an interception, a tackle for a loss. It was one, I mean, he wasn't just setting the edge. He wasn't just applying some pressure to the quarterback. He dominated that game, man. That's what I've been waiting to see from him for a very long time. You know what I mean? Yeah, he was playing with his hair on fire. And I I have been in the defense of Jerry Hughes a number of times, but I do understand uh, while I am one of those people that do say all those things that you talked about are overrated, you know, some of the sacks and stuff like that. 
I still want guys to hit home. I don't dislike sacks or I want, I want to see the bills get sacks. Um, and so I was, there was some frustration for sure that it wasn't happening, but when you did watch the film, Jerry has been playing, he doesn't, I think people think he lost a step. It's, it's there, it's on film. It's just not hitting home. And that's super frustrating. And we've heard Sean McDermott, you kind of discuss that of like, these plays are there and we're just not getting them. You know, we're not closing them out enough finishing plays. Um, and so it was good to see that happen for Jerry, because I do think in the last couple of years, his numbers have gone down, but I don't think the, the, the play on the field has gone down for him. So it's good to see him get those stats. And I think it's good for fans to get that confidence back in Jerry, because he really is a good player. And unfortunately it's not always great play on the opposite side of him, or somebody on the line isn't doing their job and, and doesn't, isn't there to step up and make the sack when he forces the pressure uh, a certain way. So good to see him doing that and another guy i think that we should call out and didn't show up in the stats really in any way was ed oliver uh he's gotten dogged on quite a bit this season for not being aaron donald yet which is a crazy bar to have to live up to uh but aaron donald has done actually done a pretty good job this year in my opinion uh he's faced a lot of double teams he's not the kind of guy that's going to just tear apart double teams yet uh, but he was he was also playing like his hair was on fire. He was incredibly disruptive, and again didn't show up in the stat book in any way. But he was he had a massive impact on that game yesterday, uh, probably right up there with Jerry Hughes. Another guy in the defense that I wanted to hit on was Tremaine Edmonds. I I thought he was improved last week against the Jets, but you know all in all, still not very good. He should have had two picks, one for sure. And I get it. I know he's coming off a shoulder. I know, again, when you watch film, especially people who know what to look for when they're watching film, they'll see things that casual fans, maybe fans like myself might not pick up on. But at the same token, again, just like I was talking about with Jerry Hughes, at some point, you need to start making impactful plays if you're going to be an important part of this defense. And that's something from Tremaine Edmonds I'm just not seeing. Like I said, the at least one of the two, I'll give him one that maybe would have been a hard catch. But the other one, he should have had that. I think your boy needs to just start making some plays, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get the frustration for sure. Uh, I think that this was maybe his best game of the season, though, as far as um, filling gaps, uh, doing some of the things that were been frustrated and seeing, you know, he's fired into the wrong hole a number of times. He's been more hesitant. I think we saw less of the hesitance uh, in, in Tremaine. He still had a couple of plays he probably wants back. I'm sure both those dropped interceptions are ones he definitely wants back. I want to also see him make those 100%, uh, at least one of them, right? Come down with a play when you have a chance to do it. Uh, but it was one of his, in my opinion, a little bit better games. He's still got a long way to go. Um, it would be nice, I think, when Matt Milano comes back fully. Matt Milano saw limited snaps. I do think he plays better with Matt next to him and I think Matt sort of makes up for some of the errors uh for Tremaine but yeah it, I get why fans are frustrated um he hasn't totally come along like we want to see do you think it's his health do you think that's the biggest thing no. the health and Milano do you think it's a combination of those two or do you or do you are you just starting to be a little concerned that yo maybe he's just not quite what he thought it was going to be or are you nowhere near close to that point yet I'm not close to that I don't think he's what maybe we thought he could be I think there's he's so young and he's coming from not playing middle linebacker at all in college. So he's making a bigger leap than a lot of the guys that, that people point to and say, oh, though this guy did it in two years. This guy did it in whatever amount of years. 
he's not starting at the same starting line as a lot of those guys. And we got to have a little bit more patience, I think. And, and that's tough for fans because it is an important part of the defense. And you you expect a better return on investment at this point. I totally understand. Uh, he's just super young, super athletic. I trust Bob Babich. If there's any middle linebacker coach in the world that can get the potential that's in Tremaine Edmonds out of him, it's going to be Bob Babich, in my opinion. I think as far as positional coaches go, he's probably one of the best there is uh, all time at what he does. So uh, I, I have a lot of faith that he can get things right. I think it's a little bit health. I don't think that the, I think the Bills maybe are overplaying that a little bit in their press conferences, the health side, but it's definitely there. Uh, I do think a lot of it is Matt Milano being out. And I think also a lot of Taron Johnson struggles in zone coverage are Matt Milano being out. I think that he's that type of impact player, both in coverage and in the run game that impacts Tremaine Edmonds and whoever's in that slot cornerback position a ton. Uh, that's just how much of an impact I think Milano has on this defense and this scheme. So uh, I want to see Milano back. And then I think we can have a bit, little bit of a better judge of Tremaine, but the injury is not going away. He's going to suffer through that injury all season long at this point. It's just more going to be a pain tolerance thing uh, and, and trying to keep him fresh during the week. You know, I, over the last couple of weeks, I've had uh, Joe Miller on the show and I've had Matt Perino, of course yourself. And one of the questions I've asked everybody is who is the defensive MVP of this team right now? Now, I thought that was a very difficult question to ask or an answer because frankly, I don't think anyone has stepped up really this year. But now, again, Jerry Hughes with that good game against the Jets, not a good game, that great game against the Jets, his name is out there. And I kept coming up with Matt Milano. And the reason being is not because of what he's done, but because of what this defense is when he's not there. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, in a way, not to compare Matt Milano to Dak, Dak Prescott, but look at what's happened to Dallas when Dak Prescott is not there. That kind of makes you realize how valuable Dak Prescott is to that team when he's not there and you see what happens. When it comes to Matt Milano, I kind of feel like this entire defense, now he was on a pitch count, I think he only played, what, 14 or 18 snaps, something along those lines on Sunday. But just the point. Doesn't this just seem like a completely different defense when Matt Milano's on the field? It is. It has been uh really most of the time Matt Milano's been here I think that's more the scheme and the type of player he is and fitting the scheme and this scheme and uh the defense operates better when all the parts are clicking and that stinks that when you lose a part it can look so bad um but Matt Milano is a key piece in the middle of this defense and a lot of it works from the middle so uh, I agree with you. I think uh, the, the, we were posed the question, Greg and I were posed the question of has uh, Matt Milano's lack of availability this year hurt or helped his contract negotiations of look how bad the Bills defense is without him versus is he a reliable person that can stay healthy? I do think some of fans concerns that he's somehow an injury prone guy are pretty overhyped or overrated ideas. He's only missed he missed one game his rookie season, right? That playoff game. And then he missed what one game last year. And I think he had some injuries yeah. that, he, that lingered, but he only missed a game. And so this year is clearly so far by far is worse, but I think it's a little bit recency bias to think that he's some like injury prone guy that like a Sammy Watkins that can't stay on the field. I don't think the bills have that type of concern, uh, but I think there's a case that he's the MVP. I still think even though his PFF grade probably won't, show it i still think it's tredavious white and in my opinion he's been the mvp every single year he's been on the buffalo bills and uh i think he takes away 
he gave up some receptions here this last week, but I think for the most part, he takes away a half of the field in almost game. You saw Kansas City didn't even try to test him uh, in that game. He took that that right out of their hands uh, and didn't even let Tyreek Hill get anything going. So I think Tredavis White's still my vote for uh, who's the MVP and the best player on the Buffalo Bills and in that building since he got here. Yeah, that's fair. Um, one player that you mentioned earlier, I wanted to hit on too, Dane Jackson. Had an interception, his rookie debut, his career debut. Like you kind of said, uh, you want to kind of look at the film a little bit more before you can come up with a good assessment. But on the surface, it certainly felt like he had a good debut. Now, again, let's not get too high on it because I don't want to downplay anything he did out there. There's a big difference between you know spending a lot of the game checking Braxton Berrios and Denzel Mims and Brashad Perryman as opposed to some of the wide receiving units that they're going to face in these coming weeks if he stays in this lineup, which may be the case with Josh Norman now, again, injured. But you got to say, I mean, you know, the seventh round pick, it was, it was definitely a good debut. It certainly seemed that way anyway to me. I liked what I saw anyway from him I, on Sunday. I love what I saw because seventh round picks a lot of times don't even make the roster, right? Like it's a huge crapshoot of a seventh round pick. So I love the story. Good on him. First play, first NFL action is getting 100% of the snaps in an NFL game. That's a lot for anyone to take on. And I think he held up to the task. Now, are we going to nitpick him a little bit when we get into the all 22? Sure, a little bit. But I think even myself and everyone has to keep in mind that this is a seventh round pick. He's a seventh round pick for a reason. Uh, So we got to be careful with the nitpicking and understand that he was put into a big spot and he came in and he wasn't ever the problem. There was no point where Dane Jackson was the reason for the New York Jets getting big plays or, or stood out as a massive problem on this defense. And that alone is a good enough performance. And then you add in an interception and he had a couple other pass breakups and nice tackles. I think he had himself a day. I think it's reasonable to say that even without watching the all 22. And again, I, I don't know if that's a sign of things to come for Dane Jackson. I hope they can continue to uh, develop and put together those type of performances. I want to see Cam Lewis come back. If Cam Lewis can play like he has, uh, which isn't great. He's the Cam, Cam Lewis isn't a great player, but I think he can be a serviceable depth defensive back once we get Levi Wallace back, like this secondary starts to look a lot better. I know a lot of people want to rush out and get trades, but if, you know, guys, these young guys develop, get back healthy, I think it's actually a formidable secondary here as we hit our stride in November, December, uh, and you can move enough pieces around and rotate things to, to have, I think, a secondary that can hang with most teams. Yeah. Now, on the other side of the ball, you know, we always talk about Josh Allen. I'm not going to completely forget about him, but I said on Twitter after the game, I think Monday should have been Cole Beasley Appreciation Day. This guy's a good football player, man. 12 targets, catches 11 balls, 112 yards. Five of those catches went for first downs. You could tell that Josh Allen, rightfully so, was locked in on him. Uh, The guy's got 39 receptions this year, which is six in the AFC. 470 yards, six in the AFC. He is just Mr dependable. Like when we signed him last year, you hoped he was going to be something. And he's exactly, at least in my opinion anyway, exactly what we hope for. What a great asset he is at his football team, ain't it? Yeah, I love Cole Beasley. I really do. I wish they would get him involved more early and often. It seems like he's a guy that they kind of go to right towards halftime and then into the second half. I'd like to see him getting a little bit more action early on. He can be 
everything. He beats zone. He beats man. He's constantly open. He is a reliable target. He's got a little bit of that kind of Wes Welker Edelman in him where he gets a catch and he can just somehow always be going forward for an extra couple, three yards, finding first downs, things like that. Um, It's exactly what I've been watching New England for 20 years do to us with this little guy who's just over the middle taking shots annoyingly picking up first downs on 10 catch days, you know, and then that's what I've always wanted. It's nice to have a Stefan Diggs who can blow you up at any time and make crazy catches and, and be a real wide receiver one. Uh, but I do think that the Cole Beasley role uh, isn't as sexy, but it's very much needed. Uh, another guy that I think, you know, similar to the Matt Milano thing though, is getting John Brown back is going to be, uh, I think what opens back this offense up to playing like they did since he's been hurt. You've seen the decrease in their ability to take the deep shots and get things going. I think if we can get John Brown back and get all these guys going in the passing game, man, I don't know if they can play like they did the first four games, but they're definitely not going to be held to no touchdowns like we saw this past weekend. Yeah, I agree 100%. John Brown is definitely a, an important part of that offense. And like I said, with Beasley, last year he had 67 catches for like 778 yards, something like that, which I thought were good numbers. And yeah. this year, he's on pace for you know around 80 catches and 1,000 yards this year. I don't know if he's going to keep up that pace, especially if Brown gets back soon, but good year for him. Now, Josh Allen, I mean, it sounds pretty stupid in a way to say this. I, I thought it was like almost like a pedestrian 300-yard game that he had, which is funny because, again, for what, how many years? It seems like decades. A Bills quarterback didn't even have a 300-yard passing game. Now he has them almost every week. And that's not really an insult when I'm saying pedestrian. What I mean is it's actually complimentary because I thought he did a really good job of not forcing too much, especially in the second half. The Jets, you could tell, they were determined to not let, they weren't going to get beat deep. And I I thought anyway, and maybe I didn't see the same game you did, but I thought Josh Allen did a pretty damn good job of taking what the defense gave him. You know, like I said, 307 yards passing on 40, uh, what was it, 43 attempts. He had 61 yards rushing too. Very big uh, game with his legs. So when I say pedestrian, it's not really me criticizing him. I'm saying I, I thought he did a pretty good job anyway of not trying to force too much, especially again, later in the game and just taking what the defense game. What, what was your read on Josh Allen on Sunday? Yeah, I agree with most of your assessment. There was a couple throws uh, in that first half. There was one that was a interception that Marcus May just dropped oh, yeah. in the end zone, yep. uh, which you still want to see him do less of that. He had a couple he threw into double coverage, but outside of the nitpicking that, I do think he uh, had a really good day in the sense of, you know, Kyle Brandt uh, from Good Morning Football talks about sugar high Josh. We didn't see sugar high Josh really at all he didn't pop in which this would have been a game to do it right down against a worse opponent uh him trying to force a player to they were getting pressure we never really saw it we saw him put the ball out of the back of the end zone a few times which yeah that's frustrating that they didn't score but that's the right play sometimes is to just get out of a play uh we saw one where it was a tight end screen that didn't develop and he just put the ball out of the back of the end zone that's a play that Josh Allen needs to make. That's the kind of thing that Tom Brady does, right? It's the responsible play, live another down, get back out there. He led that offense up and down the field a number of times. It was pedestrian. I, I think that's a fair thing to say in that sense. I think it's a lot less pedestrian if that Gabe Davis touchdown counts uh, and the numbers look a lot better 
for Josh Allen. I think that's a more of a close to MVP Josh Allen type of day. Even yeah, if he gets first that month, Josh Allen. Yeah. Sure. Uh, the I know people were frustrated with that fumble. Um, you know, on the sack in the red zone. That's a normal quarterback fumble. Those are the ones I'm not going to. Yes, it sucks uh, to have any turnover, but those are the ones I'm not going to be super pissed off about. Like that happens to quarterbacks in the pocket. Guys come at you, sack you, the ball comes out. It wasn't Josh running around crazy with the ball flopping around, taking an unnecessary hit and coughing the ball up. Those are the ones I'm going to be pissed off about, not the ones you know that, that happen to all quarterbacks all time ever. Uh, it's unfortunate. I think that, you know that's another one that could have been more points on the board, and, and they lost those points. But I think he had a really nice day. I think he led the team. He was a calm uh, he, he, he was hitting the screen passes. He, there was one play, uh, to your boy, Zach Moss, where Josh got out of the pocket, was running full speed and then slowed down just enough to hit Zach Moss with, it wasn't a f- big pass, but he hit him and it wasn't, he didn't rocket the ball in, which is, you know, you see Josh get out and he just puts too much on it and a guy drops it. He just gave it to Zach just like he should have. And Zach got a nice gain out of it. So we saw him dial back some things. I agree with you. Take what the defense gives him. We saw him a number of times where he saw the blitz, hit the guy he's supposed to, hit the bubble screen where he's supposed to. So those are all improvements. Now it's just getting the ball in the end zone, which I know fans were frustrated with it, but I don't see, you know, with the red zone offense specifically, I don't see this as a trend. I see it more as an anomaly. Like I, I don't think most teams are going to hold them to not scoring in the red zone. They've just had, they've done it at two well of a clip i think they're going to be able to score going forward it was just a weird game in that way yeah and by the way for people who follow me on twitter uh everyone was having a little fun taking a poke at me with my saying my boy zach moss because i did predict all week long that this was going to be the zach moss game and it, <laughs> it, it should exactly have been it should have been that way. i agree i'll with tell him. you what the, I, I like the way he looked man he had yeah. seven rush or 47 yards on seven carries caught three balls for 25 yards, I do think he is kind of, I think he's going to slowly wrestle away. Now, I don't think he's going to be a clear cut number one. Like, he ain't going to be Dalvin Cook to, you know, Madison like the Vikings have. I don't think it's going to be like that. But I do think in time that he's going to wrestle control away as he'll be the 1A and Singletary is going to be the 1B. I think that's going to. I think that's fair. That was my, my preseason prediction was that Zach Moss would have more rushing touchdowns than Devin Singletary. I didn't realize the running back production would be so low here, half almost halfway through the season. Yeah, the um, bar's low, man. It is. And I, <laughs> you know I think... funny? I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was going to say, I think TJ Yeldon has actually had the best game of any running back this year. Yeah. And what was it, the Tennessee game? I thought he was excellent, and then he's been inactive the last two weeks. Yeah, I'm not there with TJ Yeldon. I think he was fine. Oh, me neither. He had a nice couple uh, drives in that game, and then he had one run at the end, which was pretty inflated when the game was already way far out of reach once Matt Barkley was in. Um, But yeah, no, I I like TJ Yeldon where he is. Uh, I think I didn't hate your take on Zach Moss at all. I think the thing that struggled for Zach Moss was – coming back off injury, they didn't go to him right away. Uh, and they let Singletary get those carries. But I do agree that I think as Zach kind of establishes himself, if he keeps having games like he had, they're going to have to get him more volume. His problem has been volume, not what he's done with carries. It's He's not getting any volume. Neither running back really is, but I do think that he's showing that he can handle more. Yeah. Circling back to Josh Allen. So no, by the way, so we're playing seven seven games. So we're only one game in from being halfway through his season. And he's fourth in the NFL in passing yards. And he's tied for fourth with 16 touchdowns. 
that's surprising enough. But to me, the, the, the most, maybe the most impressive stat to me is that Josh Allen is 11th in the NFL, completing 67.6% of his passes. I mean, the inaccuracy thing has always been the biggest issue with the kid. And uh, I'll tell you what, at the end of the year, if he's completed 67.6% of his passes, that's a hell of a year to me anyway, when it comes to a quarterback who's as much of a kind of a riverboat gambler as Josh Allen tends to be. Right. You know? Yeah, no, it'd be yeah. a huge jump in where he was in the development. People say a guy can't, first of all, people said you can't fix accuracy, which is patently false. I think he's already fixed a lot of the accuracy issues. I still think there's issues with drops, to be honest. I think that's uh, hurt his completion percentage and the Bills have had a lot of drops already this year. Uh, so I'm hoping that that trend starts to die down a little bit. But no, I, I've been super impressed with his decision-making, ball placement. He still gets loose a little bit. You saw a few inaccurate throws here this game, but I mean, it is dialed back a ton from where it was over the last two years. Yeah, 52.8% as a rookie, 58.8 last year, and now he's at 67.6. And that's a 10-point jump. That's That's massive. It really is. And I'll tell you what, my biggest quarterback takeaway from Sunday's game, and I know it's not a fair fight because of of talent that surrounds him, but I'm ready to say officially, I think, Josh Allen's a better quarterback than Sam Darnold. I really think that. Now, again, talent does matter, and Sam Darnold's got precious little of it. But, dude, he went look. He went 12 of 23. I'm looking at the stats now for 120, two picks, took sacks, bad sacks. Some of those sacks were bad. Like, get rid of the football, man. I was like, what is he waiting for? Is he waiting for three bills to come hit him? It felt that way a couple times. The interception and Dane Jackson, bad play, man. Not sure if if it's that he's not comfortable back there or maybe he's just not that good yeah maybe he's just not that good i don't know anymore i don't know it's so hard to judge he has such a it's such a poorly run organization at the moment um and they're polar opposites right josh allen came into an organization that put every single human being in the building from marketing to the cooks to everybody's behind josh allen being quarterback one 100 percent uh brandon bean went out got him an offensive line went out although the offensive line's patchwork right now, but went out and got him the weapon. So they have just put all the focus on fostering a place for Josh Allen to be a successful quarterback, where the Jets have done almost the opposite. They got rid of weapons. They have Adam Gase just flailing around there on that offense. So it's hard to judge. Um, I do think Darnold has almost no confidence right now in himself or in the offense or in his coach. And it's hard to have any type of success when there's no confidence. So I, for his sake, I hope he gets to go somewhere here. Maybe they trade him in the next couple of years. It looks like they're going to be in the running here for Trevor Lawrence. I hope they get him. Uh, and well, I don't hope they get him because I don't want to play Trevor Lawrence all the time, but if they do get him, I hope that the, that Darnold goes somewhere where we don't have to play him all the time and he gets a chance to go to a good organization so we can actually see what type of prospect he is because I don't think he's had a fair evaluation with the Jets. He's going to end up with the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Or the Steelers. I think Steelers would be another one if this is Big Ben's last year, maybe. Um, That could be another place for him to go and go to a place that's already got established success. All right, well, we can't talk about an 18-10 to game that featured six field goals without hitting on Tyler Bass, and I'll, I'll tell you what, man. I don't know what your take is. I, I got a feeling I know what it is, but I don't know for sure. I'm not happy with him. Now, I know, yes, he made six kicks, and I'll give him props, 
48-46. Those are none of those are easy kicks. But the 45-yarder, dude, what did he miss it by 20 yards? And then the 37-yarder. Look, I'm not first of all, I know that kicking's been a problem around most of the NFL this year. I am not in any way saying the Bills should or are going to cut the guy. They're not going to. It's not going to happen. At least not now. But my confidence level in him is very, very low. It worked out because the defense, again, was so dominant. But when they were up 12-10 and he misses that 37-yarder, can you imagine if the Bills end up losing 13-12 because he missed a 37-yarder? It would not have played well. I get that he's a rookie. Again, the stats look good when you make six field goals. It's hard to criticize a guy who makes six field goals. But the miss was bad and the 37-yarder, you want to be an NFL kicker, man. You just can't do that. I don't know. I just, it's weird. When I watch Bill's games, you remember, uh, well, you don't have to look too far back. Remember when Dan Carpenter, when the bottom fell out? Oh, yeah. And whenever he came out there, like, he ain't making this kick. That's how I feel about, like, I'm cringing. Like, the, the muscles in my back get tight, my neck. When this kid comes out to kick the football, it's scary to me, man. It really is. I understand it. Um, I think being a rookie kicker is tough. I think historically Bruce put out a tweet about some of the rookie seasons of great kickers, uh, were not fantastic. They, they were littered with misses and things like that. I think, uh, this was kind of the argument I had with my co-host Greg Thompson was I think in college, uh, he never really had sustained success, right? He had one really good, strong season in college, but he had inconsistencies there. So I wasn't sure, you know, I'm not, I kind of was on the team Hauschka, although he's clearly not the answer uh, either because he can't even come close. You don't even put put him out there for that 53-yard kick that uh, right. Bass did at it. So it's tough, man. The NFL's not full of great kickers right now. I know people say, like, there was people saying calling for, Bass to get cut. I think that's extreme. Didn't Hoshka go to Jacksonville for one week and then and get missed cut right after? Yeah, that? he missed a couple he missed kicks. Uh, yeah. yeah, he missed a couple kicks in Jacksonville and got cut, and now he's out there. Uh, he might be on a practice squad or something somewhere. I'm not sure, but anyway, he's not the answer. I don't think there's an answer in free agency. I don't think there's anybody out there that the Bills can get that'll be markedly better than Bass right now. I think we're gonna have to grow with him. I think he's a rookie kicker. Uh, some of the problems have been on. Bojo from people I talked to that know kicking about, you know, Bojo's holding of the kicks. Not that wasn't the problem here this last week, but he's got to work through it. I think the the silver lining that we can take away from this game and him is uh, Pat McAfee on his show talks a lot about kickers and the, the mental makeup it takes for a kicker to go out there, miss a kick and then sit for 20, 25 minutes by themselves. Nobody wants to talk to you and you're just sitting by yourself thinking about that miss and then having to go back out and and do it again. Uh, I think the mental makeup that for him to come back and respond and be the only point scorer for the bills showed something to me that it doesn't, he can miss a kick and it doesn't become the thing throughout the whole game. You know, he, he went out there, he made more than he missed for sure. And he put up points. He had a good day, relatively speaking, but I understand your point that it's frustrating and I don't think anyone right now should feel like they have the confidence that he's a sure thing when he goes out there to, for a kick until he proves it to us. He's got a lot of work to prove it, to have the type of confidence you have when, like when Steven Hauschka first got to the bills of that type of confidence yeah. that every time he went out, man, it was Hausch money, right? Like uh, hopefully he can get there. He's definitely not there yet, but I think he showed the mental makeup that you need from a kicker. Now he's just got to put it together with consistency. Well, I'll tell you what, Aaron, let's, put this all into perspective to show that this is a pretty good football team right now, because here's the bottom line. 
So you have a team who could not put the ball in the end zone, didn't score a touchdown, had a touchdown call back, missed two field goals, played without both their starting guards. The interior offensive line to me was pretty shaky. Uh, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. yeah. Matt Milano, a very good linebacker. John only Brown played a handful of snaps. John Brown was out. Jermaine Edmonds is still, he's not even remotely playing on the level that he did at times last year. Hopefully he'll get back soon. I said Josh Allen had a pedestrian 300 yard, which and I'd say maybe that's a little bit ridiculous. The running game was, meh. oh, by the way, 12 penalties for over 100 yards right. too. And we are still talking about a team that went on the road. I don't care who they were playing on the road and won a football game. To me, when you can overcome all that bullshit, this is a pretty good football team. That's what I. That's where I arrive at. I, I agree. And you got to win the games that you're supposed to. And this was one that you, you're supposed to win. And Josh Allen said it. Uh, division games are ugly. It's the first thing my father taught me when I grew up watching football was it doesn't matter what the record of divisional opponents are. They're going to come out and give you their best shot. They know you better than anybody else. Like You play them twice a year, every year there's going to be some ugly divisional game. So to me, it doesn't matter the ending score. And again, I think this was the most dominant uh, 18 point total uh, or 18 point scored eight point victory I've ever seen. Uh, Not just from the Buffalo Bills ever. I mean, to give up four yards and a half, the defense totally locked them down. Uh, Greg Thompson, my co-host has a tweet about that second half. It was like, uh, three play drive, four play drive, three play drive, like had the ball for maybe two minutes at the most on any drive. It was a completely dominant performance. It stinks that they didn't get in the end zone. Uh, and the offense put, you know, Bass in some situations where he had to be out there so much kicking. But uh, I think overall fans should be, I'm not going to say you have to be happy with the victory, but impressed that they, with all that adversity that they faced, kicking themselves in the foot with the penalties, all, all that kind of baked into this game to come out with a victory on the road uh, and get another divisional victory. I think everyone should be happy by that. Well, put it this way, bro. <laughs> Through the years, and you've been a Bills fan for quite a while too now, there's more than enough seasons where everything that we listed would have led to probably a three-touchdown loss against whoever it is. It doesn't even matter who they were playing. Now, it's way too early in the week, and... I would just prefer people to go to listen to your podcast to get a good game preview against the Patriots. But I do want to say this. So they're playing New England on Sunday. The Patriots are two and four. The game is in Orchard Park. And the Bills, and going into what, week eight of the season, are 60 minutes away from, in my mind, essentially burying the New England Patriots for 2020. At the halfway point of their season, the Bills can essentially bury the New England Patriots, which in my mind makes the Miami Dolphins, who are currently at three and three with a rookie quarterback who's never taken a starting snap in his career as the biggest threat to winning the AFC and get in a home playoff game. You know what I'm saying? This is a big game for the Bills. I don't think it's their hardest game coming up over the next, say, four to six weeks or so. But to me, this is the big one because, you know, Seattle, that's a big game. They're the big names and Arizona and all these Pittsburgh, all these good teams. But yo, you got a divisional rival in your house that is two and four. They're real and they're playing terrible. You can knock them out this Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Like knock this team out for the year as far as I'm concerned on Sunday. Yeah, I, it, this is a really big game for the organization as a whole, right? The coaching staff. Um, 
this is a big one for the guys that have been here a long time. Jerry Hughes is a guy that I think of. Even though Tom Brady's not here, there's a monkey on the back of this organization, and it's the New England Patriots. They are the division champs until we knock them off uh, from that pedestal. And that starts with winning this game. And again, it doesn't have to be a big win. It doesn't have to be a crazy win, but they got to win this game. Uh, it's it, The Patriots have just been that thorn. I think it's a big one for the coaching staff. I think that's what they're going to preach here this week in the locker room. Like, hey, this you know the importance of this game and winning it. One thing I do want to sort of pump the brakes for fans here this week is I'm not saying the Patriots are a really good team, but we should measure them the same way we're measuring the Buffalo Bills in that I don't know that they're as good as their first few games were because they were good in those first few games. They went toe-to-toe with Seattle, right? It was a yeah. one, one yard away from beating the Seahawks in Seattle. So uh, they actually played Kansas City great for that first half and Kansas city sort of pulled away at the end of that game, but they really were in there for the, they beat the Raiders pretty well. They beat the Raiders. So they've, they've had some good wins. They've played well against some good teams. They've made some teams struggle and they've had their own struggles, but so have the bills over the last three games, they've had their own struggles. So I think if we're going to judge the bills by that measure of like, well, maybe, you know, they're not as good as we thought then, uh, or, you know, are they just struggled for three games? We probably should give the Patriots that same kind of, we're not sure who they are yet and take them very seriously because they have beat good teams. Even though we, you know, turned off the Bills game and went to watch the Patriots kind of look a little bit embarrassed here last game that we saw them. I don't know that that's the team we're going to see on Sunday. So hopefully the players are ready to go because I think Patriots definitely don't want to drop four straight losses, right? They want to write this thing and, and become a playoff team. I think they still think they can be a wild card team. Um, and then you talked about the Dolphins, man. I think fans kind of scoff at the idea uh, that it's the Dolphins, but that's a good football team, dude. I think, uh, you know, people discredited that victory against the Dolphins for the Bills. Fitz is dealing this year. I'm sad for Fitz that he lost his job uh, to two. I like Tua and I like that story, but I, I am not... I don't want. Do you think they might trade him? Do you think they might trade him? They shouldn't. That unhappy. They, they. I don't think they should because you just never know. Tua could go down, and that derails their season if Fitz isn't there. Uh, I think he's an asset worth keeping around. Or Tua could, you know, vomit all over himself. We don't know. Uh, And and then they need to go back to Fitz. I think Fitz is. He's unhappy, but I think he's the type of guy that will get past that and help Tua. He's not going to be a problem in the locker room or anything like that, unless Dallas maybe offered him an offer they couldn't refuse uh, to try to salvage their season, but I don't even think they're there at this point. Um, But Miami scares me. I don't want to play Miami again. I really don't. And I think that they're right there uh, nipping at the heels of the bills. And I think they're one of those teams that I haven't looked at their schedule, but I think they could go off and run. We play them week 17 in Buffalo too. That would be be a game that that game meant something. It could, it might very well mean something, man. We don't have that big of a lead on the dolphins and with a tough schedule coming up. So I think they're going to be nipping at the heels of the bills all season long. And that's, I, I love what Flores is doing there. I like a lot of the makeup of their team. And that's a team that drives me. I think they're going to be an annoyingly good team uh, and right on the heels of the Bills all season long. Yeah, I think I personally think Miami is a bigger threat to Buffalo right now than New England. But until you beat the Patriots for 60 minutes and you put them out of your misery, until we beat them, we haven't. Until you beat them, they're still the champions for sure. Yes, sir. One thing, and then I'm going to let you go. Now, this is completely random. I saw this on Twitter today and it got me thinking. I said, you know what? I'm going to ask Aaron this. That's how we're going to end it. Who's your personal favorite current, like somebody who's in the NFL now, non-favorite Buffalo Bill? 
Like or anybody in the NFL, who's your favorite football player that's not a Buffalo Bill? Favorite player that is not a Buffalo Bills. Well, so I saw Larry Fitzgerald uh, reach a highlight uh, or a statistical highlight last night. He's got to be up there um, as far as all time players. He's got to be up there as one of my favorites all time. But as far as like current all time or current guys, man, before his injury it was Derwin James. I love the way he plays. Um, I, I love that. Buda Baker, maybe. I think Buda Baker is maybe my most fun player to watch. I, I love defensive backs. I love the way he plays. Uh, so I might go with Buda Baker. You know, my first thought was Pat Mahomes, but, and I do love watching I do him love play, him, yeah. but that would have been too easy. You know, I'm getting hooked on right now. TJ Watt. Okay. That dude yeah. just brings it. Yeah, he does. He's better than his brother. He's better than his brother Probably. right now. Anyway, maybe he wasn't as, you know, peak JJ Watt, but right now TJ Watt is the better Watt. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, no, I love the way he plays. I do want to, you had mentioned it earlier in the show, and I just want to give you my quick take on the, uh, whether or not the Bills, I think you saw my tweet, whether or not they're better with or without Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips, man, I can't. Yeah, give me your take on that. I I completely forgot about that. I can't find a a reasoning of data or film or anything to suggest that either one of Shaq Lawson or uh, Jordan Phillips is there anything other than a replacement level player, which the bills have and they got, and those guys are producing at the same clip. So I ran those numbers from the first five games of both Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson to the first five games of uh, first five games last year. So 2019 Jordan Phillips, 2019 Shaq Lawson versus 2020 Mario Addison and Quentin Jefferson. The production is pretty much the same. Yes, uh, you had more sacks still from Jordan Phillips because he had that three-sack game against Tennessee. Those, whatever. People can say the sacks are important. They were a little bit inflated. There was a couple of the sacks in that Tennessee game where he just walked through uh, unblocked and got a sack, which is great. I'm glad he did. But the, the stats are pretty much the same. But even if you go past the stats, I watched every snap from – I'm a bit, I was a big Shaq Lawson fan last year, man. I was defending trying to get him re-signed. Not for the deal yeah. that he got in Miami. I don't like that deal at all. Uh, I don't think he's much more, you know, people say, oh, we should have given Shaq Lawson the Trent Murphy money. I don't know that he's much more productive than Trent Murphy. They're both playing at replacement level defensive end levels right now. So I think it's kind of a wash. I, I don't think that we're missing them in the way fans think. And I don't think that those guys staying here puts this defense back to the 2019 success that they had. Well. Let me say this, and for people who might be wondering, there's been a lot of disagreeing going on social media right now because when the Bills defense, which has struggled for most of the year, a very big sentiment is that the Bills should have kept Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson. Now, people have been taking sides, and I do think there's a point to each side, and a lot of people have strong takes either way. Now, Greg, yourself, and Joe from New York City, Buffalo Wins on Twitter, who's on this podcast, noted self-admitted hothead who's always going <laughs> at it with people. I love him for that, but he gets a little bit, you know, out of hand sometimes with, with his takes too. Um, he thinks that they were better off with them. Here's my take on stats though, because I think both sides are sort of right. I do think Jordan Phillips having nine and a half sacks is kind of an anomaly. In fact, that kind of, it is. It is. It's not He's nothing not, though. I get, I agree. It's there. not sustainable. I agree. And it's not even this. All right. So it's not even that he had nine and a half sacks, but from what I can remember, and again, I don't have a notebook in front of me. Sure. I don't have 
you know, access to film. But I'll give an example of why I think stats can be overrated. I'm a lifelong Yankees fan, and I'm a lifelong A-Rod hater, even though he played for the Yankees, okay? A-Rod was the guy who would always go, he would hit a home run in a 9-to-1 victory or an 8-to-2 loss in the fourth inning when the game's already decided. Like He's like the he Russell Westbrook. Yes, exactly. He's the Russell Westbrook of statistics. Like sometimes stats can be deceiving. Absolutely. Now, in fairness to A-Rod, he did have one magical playoff run in 2009, helped the Yanks win a World Series. But anyway, for most of his career, he's that guy. He had a lot of empty stats. I think to some extent, Jordan Phillips' stats were empty, but I do also remember that some sacks, some plays he made came at big points of the game. Sure. And I think that's a stat that it's really hard to see. You could see a sack and it's like, all right, well, you have a sack. Well, when did you have that sack? At what point of the game did that sack come? Or, you know, you only had two tackles. Ed Oliver, too, this year. Like, Ed Oliver don't got a lot of tackles, but I can remember at least a couple that were big. Right. I know he had a big fourth down stop. I remember Jordan Phillips having a couple big plays at very opportune times of the game. You know what I'm saying? So I get that, but I do agree. I don't think that is the reason why the Bills defense is well, before Sunday, at least, significantly worse than last year. Yeah, and I, I don't injuries I think, and just some stuff like that. But I don't know. The players they replaced them with are not playing poorly. So I could see the argument better if Mario Addison and Quinn Jefferson were just not performing or playing poorly, right? right? Yeah, now you're using Quinn Jefferson as the Jordan Phillips comparison as opposed to Vernon Butler, right? I am, yes. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I Vernon Butler, fair. yeah, Vernon Butler, I'm not happy with uh, the way he's performed yet. Um, and I'm willing to give him some time. But yeah, no, I'm going Quentin Jefferson and Mario Addison. And they've both performed well. Again, flawed, but so are uh, Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips. And then if you look at their statistics from this year, and granted, they're on other teams, there's other contacts and variables in there. They're both underperforming their contracts currently by a large margin. Uh, Trent Murphy's actually, I, in my opinion, outplaying Shaq Lawson, who's making more money than him. So those contracts would have been the contracts the Bills would have had to take on for those guys. And I'm not saying that they perform the way they're performing for their other teams right now, uh, but they're not like lighting the world on fire where I'm really missing that production with the contracts that they were given. The best part about Jordan Phillips in his nine and a half sacks was that he was on a uh, he was a guy that they got they off waivers that they just claimed him. Uh, he wasn't a big contract. He was overperforming for his value. Now you tag him with a, what it was a three year, $30 million deal and he's underperforming. I'm not having it, man. It's not, it's not needed. They paid yeah. 18 and a half million of that money from Jordan Phillips is guaranteed. Yeah. Too. So, so I'm, yeah, you gotta, you gotta factor in the contracts when you make these kind of comparisons. I agree. Right. With that. Yeah. No, it's easy. But again, when, when a team's not playing well, and the defense is not playing well, you, you look for things sure. to bitch about. Definitely. And I did it too. You know, I wondered out loud. I'm one of the people on Twitter that are like, is this team better off sure. with Shaq and Jordan Phillips? But yeah, it's pretty even. Yeah. Anyway, good stuff. Follow Aaron on Twitter at Aaron Quinn 716. Of course, check out Cover One Buffalo podcast immediately after Bill's games. And also during the week, what is it? Usually Wednesday or Thursday, you do your preview. We're going to be doing this Wednesday is going to be a good one. Uh, Patriots week, uh, a really good guest, Evan Lazar, uh, super level-headed, love talking to him. We bring him on once a year, every year. Uh, Just a really good Patriots fan. Uh, So it should be a really good preview show. And it'll be on uh, Wednesday live and then wherever you get your podcast after that. Thanks for your time, my brother. Hey, man, let's pound on the Patriots this weekend. We need it. (laughs) 
All right. And thank you to everybody out there as always for listening. Download the show. I really appreciate it. Again, big thanks to Aaron. Follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. Have a good week. Stay safe. And I will be back with a brand new show on Friday. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com/safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.